Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us here today. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and welcome to today's edition of This Week in Business History for the week of November 1st, 2021. On today's episode, in honor of this week's National Sandwich Day, which is November 3rd, we're talking about one of my favorite things, a good sandwich. In fact, we're going to be diving into the business of making a good sandwich. But before we get started, Let's uh, compare sandwich best practices, huh? A couple of my strong preferences when it comes to making a good sandwich. First, it's all about the bread. You just gotta have good bread. And if we're making a sandwich on traditional loaf bread, man, nothing beats lightly toasting the bread for a little extra crunch and texture. Now, when it comes to the meats, I can do a variety of things. Olive loaf was a staple of mine through college. Hey, it was cheap and I love olives. Turkey is a hit around our home now. Chicken salad makes a mean sandwich, especially if you add some Tabasco and toast the bread. And few things are as perfect in this world as a good Italian sub. Now to that end, growing up in Aiken, South Carolina, there were two places to go for a really good Italian sub. For those double shifts on Sundays, bagging and stocking at the local Winn-Dixie, Oftentimes, we'd walk over to Substation 2 next door, and their super sub was absolutely delicious. Checking in on Substation 2 now, almost 30 years later, they have about 40 locations sprinkled throughout the southeastern United States. But the gold standard in my hometown was always Pat's Sub Shop. And the Italian sandwich at Pat's Sub Shop with its delicious bread, always freshly shredded lettuce, added pepperoncinis with the vinegar dressing that just lightly soaks the whole thing. That, my friends, is a perfect masterpiece. It was when I was 10 years old, eating at Pat's with my mom, and it still is now, years later, when I sometimes arrange to have my folks send a couple of subs to us here in Georgia. And hey, our listeners out there, I'd love to hear about your favorite sandwich shop in your town. Hey, shoot us a note to amanda at supplychainnow.com and tell us about what you think is the perfect sandwich joint. Okay, so now that we're all hungry, let's get back to this week in business history in today's episode. We're going to be taking a look at the industry behind the world's global sandwiches. Stay tuned as I walk through five things you didn't know about the sandwich industry. And hey, if I could ask for a simple favor, I sure would appreciate it if you would subscribe to the show, wherever you get your podcast from, and leave us a review. 
Again, we appreciate your support. So let's dive into this week in business history, powered by our team here at Supply Chain Now. So let's start our list of five things you didn't know about the sandwich industry. And let's start with its overall size and scale. It's been estimated that eight in 10 Americans eat fast food at least monthly. And almost half of the country whips around the drive-through weekly. But it's not just the US that has a love affair with fast food. It's a global romance for sure. As of February 2021, McDonald's is the number one when it comes to the number of locations around the world with some 38,695 units. Subway comes in on the list at number two with about 37,500 units. Now, when it comes to Subway, did you know that the company was founded back in 1965 by a 17-year-old kid named Fred DeLuca? It set up the first shop in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which was named Pete's Super Submarines. They rebranded as Subway a couple years later and proceeded to take over the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't really been a fan of their sandwiches for years. Now, you may be aware that the Titanic company encountered some serious controversy earlier this year when Subway's tuna salad was sent to a lab to confirm if it was indeed tuna. The test, paid for by the New York Times, failed to find any, quote, amplifiable tuna DNA in the sample. Since then, the company has launched a major overhaul of its menu and brand, and part of the overhaul includes a focus on an enhanced customer experience, CX for short, a hot topic in global industry these days. As Echo Factory puts it, quote, this idea of customer experience marketing isn't just a buzzword, it's a legitimate strategy to make consumers engage with a product or service. Tailored experiences not only improve a brand's image, but are a way for businesses to show that they care about their informed consumers. So by providing their customers with these tailored experiences, Subway is taking the steps to improve their brand image while connecting with their customers, end quote. Will the overhaul work? Jury's still out. Hey, try a Subway sandwich and let us know your take. Up next at number two on our list, let's look at the massive workforce behind fast food. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, over 3.4 million people worked in the fast food industry here in the States in 2020. The median hourly wage for this segment of the workforce, at least as of May 2020, was $11.47. Low pay might be one reason the industry continues to face a challenge that every business is facing lately. You can't find enough workers. In fact, the labor shortage is significantly impacting restaurants' ability to return to pre-pandemic operations. A few months back, I drove up to a Burger King in our neck of the woods around lunchtime as a Whopper sandwich was on our mind, and I was told, I'm sorry, we can't open today as we don't have enough workers yet. I bet we've all had some of those experiences in recent months. Many workers that are working in the fast food industry are reporting burnout and really poor treatment by customers. In fact, some locations and businesses have opted to place signs on the entry doors that ask customers for their understanding and patience based on the current taxing situation. It brings to my mind 
an old favorite phrase of mine that I picked up from our church years ago. PTK every day. Patience, tolerance, and kindness. I'm sure the fast food industry and those hardworking folks making our sandwiches could use some extra consideration right now, right? With number three on our list of five things you didn't know about the sandwich industry, let's look at Jimmy John's. So Jimmy John's comes in at number 25 on the list of largest fast food chains, and it has about 2,700 locations. Like Subway, this freaky fast chain was also founded by a teenager. 19-year-old Jimmy John Leoto started Jimmy John's back in 1983. Leoto was not a great student. In fact, he graduated from Elgin Academy in Elgin, Illinois, second to last in his class. It's been said that Jimmy John Leoto's father gave him quite a choice. He said, son, either you're going to be joining the military or you're going to start a business. Jimmy John chose the latter, of course. He borrowed $25,000 from his father, and he went to work opening a hot dog stand first, but then he settled on a sandwich shop. Hey, times were tough. The first Jimmy John's location in Charleston, Illinois, couldn't afford an ice maker. So if you wanted Coke, you'd get it neat with no ice. Leoto also couldn't afford highfalutin advertising. So he'd make a bunch of sandwiches and go hand them out in the streets for free. And he trusted that word of mouth to drive business. And it did. Folks not only loved his sandwiches, but they loved Jimmy John Leoto's personality and spirit. By 1994, he already had paid his father back and he'd begun to franchise Jimmy John's. As Leoto had figured out not only how to run multiple units, but he also had devised a scalable model for franchises. In 2001, the 100th Jimmy John store opened in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. In 2007, the 500th store opened in Seattle, Washington. And in 2010, the 1000th store opened in Beaverton, Oregon. On October 18, 2019, Inspire Brands bought Jimmy John's. As part of the deal, Jimmy John Leoto stepped down as chairman of the company, but would be retained as an advisor. Jimmy John Leoto and his wife give all kinds of money to nonprofits and charities. As an example, they donated $2 million to Brewster Academy in Wolfboro, New Hampshire. It was to be used for the construction of a new residence hall. The facility was built and was named Toad Hall a name chosen by Jimmy John Leoto because of how frequently folks mispronounce his last name, which, by the way, has a silent D at the end. Hey, in my book, that sounds like a down-to-earth guy that we all could get along with. Number four on our list, we just have to examine the hot industry trend that is the chicken sandwich. So for whatever it's worth, I've yet to have a chicken sandwich that beats the heavyweight champion. That would be Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich. But I do miss the company's coleslaw, which was a tasty addition on top of that Chick-fil-A between the two buns. Now, don't knock it till you try it, just saying. Perhaps our family was introduced to Chick-fil-A before many, as my smart, good-looking younger brother worked at a Chick-fil-A as his first job. That location was in the now-defunct Aiken Mall, which I understand is now being demolished. 
Chick-fil-A in what feels like lifetimes ago used to target opening their units in shopping malls around the country. Martha Lawrence, who served as an executive assistant for 17 years to Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, well, she would say this when it comes to the Chick-fil-A shopping mall growth strategy. Quote, Truett saw there was a ready-made market. All the salespeople and store employees that worked all day in the mall didn't have anywhere to eat. They had the space, he saw a need, but it was a challenge. Nobody had done it in the Southeast before, end quote. And just like that, shopping malls were key to those early decades of growth for Chick-fil-A. In fact, it was 1986, some 40 years after the company began, that it opened its first freestanding restaurant, which would, of course, be in Atlanta. Chick-fil-A now has some 2,100 locations, primarily in the U.S., but a handful are in Canada. You may not know that the company's headquarters are here in Metro Atlanta, specifically College Park. And part of the corporate campus includes an innovation center known as The Hatch. It includes a full-size drive-through where associates can model new innovations and offerings. Undoubtedly, it's helped to run perhaps the world's most efficient drive-through, especially given the volume. Now looking at the rise of supposed competition in the chicken sandwich market, you've got Popeyes, which created a stir these last couple years. It was founded in New Orleans in 1972. The company headquarters for Popeyes are now in Miami, Florida. You also have KFC, formerly known as Kentucky Fried Chicken, which has also rolled out a new sandwich. Now KFC is headquartered in Louisville, Kentucky and has some 24,000 locations around the world. You may not know that the company that owns KFC, Yum Brands, also owns Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. Other companies participating in what's being called the current chicken sandwich wars include McDonald's, Bojangles, Wendy's, Zaxby's, Burger King, and plenty more. So much chicken was being bought up as part of these consumer-driven wars that in May 2021, the price of chicken here in the U.S., well, it hit a three-year high. Hey, maybe we can have peace talks at Camp David this fall, catered by none other than Chick-fil-A, of course. Finally, we arrive at number five on our list of five things you didn't know about the sandwich industry. And we're going to be finishing with a flurry. So for starters, did you know that back in World War II, an Italian deli in New London, Connecticut, was filling an order for 500 hero sandwiches for the local U.S. Naval submarine base there? The staff at the deli began referring to hero sandwiches as subs, which coined the industry term that everybody and their sister have been using for generations since. The term sub was certainly not used by John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich, which is a town in Southeast England. It was Montague that back in the 18th century, he arguably began the world's use of the term sandwich. As the Earl needed one clean hand to play cards with and one hand to eat, what became known as a sandwich. Now I wonder what John Montague's favorite sandwich was. Well, if you had to put together a list of some of the world's favorite sandwiches, I'd say it would include the following. Lobster roll, a specialty in the state of Maine. 
BLT, short for bacon, lettuce, tomato, which is delicious in the summer when you can use fresh tomatoes. It is my son Ben's favorite. A club sandwich might be on the list, which is certainly one of my favorites. It's got bacon, turkey, ham, and three pieces of toasted bread and cheese. You have the cheesesteak sandwich made popular in Philadelphia. In fact, there's been a cheesesteak war going on for decades between Pat's and Geno's in the city of brotherly love. Both are open 24-7, and to make things fun, they're located right across the street from each other. And one final sandwich that I'd include in this super short list, well, that would be the patty melt, which can best be found at your local Waffle House. Now, Waffle House, which originated here in the Atlanta area in 1955, has about 1,500 locations across the country. The patty melt is a beef patty on two pieces of wheat toast, topped with melted American cheese and grilled onions. You top that with lots of Tabasco, which is an iconic hot sauce produced by the McElhaney Company in Louisiana, and you've got one of life's most simple pleasures. The late, great Anthony Bourdain once stated the following about Waffle House, quote, it is indeed marvelous, an irony-free zone where everything is beautiful and nothing hurts where everybody, regardless of race, creed, color, or degree of inebriation, is welcomed." End quote. That's not only highly accurate, but such a wonderful way to put it. Rest in peace, Chef. You are certainly missed. Well, that just about does it for this week's episode of This Week in Business History. So little time, so much to cover when it comes to sandwiches, but hey, there's always next time. And hey, try something new or old at the lunch counter in your next visit. With that said, we wish you a wonderful week ahead. Hey, this is Scott Luton urging you to do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. Hey, PTK every day. And we'll see you next time right here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.